We go and grab a quick bite. We watch a movie, then fight. We're the fast food film friends. You're listening to Fast Food Film Friends, the show that answers the question, what would happen if you gave an incredible amount of power and influence to a couple of mediocre young men? (laughs) This week, we're going to be talking about The King, which is a new Netflix film starring good old Timothy Chalamet, or as I will be referring to him for the rest of this podcast, Timmy C., while eating Popeye's ever so elusive and currently the hottest thing on the market, Chicken Sandwich. Truly. From uh, IMDb, the plot summary of The King reads as follows. Hal, wayward prince and heir to the English throne, is crowned King Henry V after his tyrannical father dies. Now the young king must navigate palace politics, the war his father left behind, and the emotional strings of his past life. Man, I have been there. And from Popeyes.com, our chicken sandwich features a buttermilk-battered and hand-breaded white meat chicken fillet served on a buttery toasted brioche bun with two barrel-cured pickles and your choice of classic mayo or spicy Cajun spread. Now... Did you get one of each? I got the chicken sandwich, and I made no adjustments. So okay. I believe that classic mayo mm. is just the default topping. Okay. I'm fine with I that. I mean, this is a chicken sandwich. I mean, as long as it has barrel-cured pickles on it, <laughs> I'm going to eat it. So just like a, a timeline. So you and I really keep our ears to the ground yes. in terms of fast food. Like, whenever anything is happening... In the quick cuisine world, we're on top of it. Oh, absolutely. We have to be. First to know, most of the time. And we both check like a few blogs that will post as soon as any restaurant announces any item. We have a red rotary phone that rings whenever they launch something new. They give a straight line call to us in the situation room. And so this sandwich was announced. And honestly, at the time, it it didn't even come across on either of our radars as (laughs) something notable. Because to me, I thought... Popeye's is a chicken restaurant. How do they not already have a chicken sandwich? Well, it's that. And it's like, there are so many of these chicken sandwiches on the market that are the exact same in terms of right. what the, what the, what is on the board and what is on the sandwich. It's a chicken sandwich. And like, like in retrospect, knowing that there was not a Popeye's chicken sandwich, I now see like, yeah, their chicken is great. Yes. And yeah, chicken sandwiches are generally my favorite way to consume chicken. Yeah. So like, it makes sense that this would be a hyped thing, yeah. but like you and I, like it wasn't even something we considered doing on our show. Well, we're used to a, a quadruple barrel stack of nacho <laughs> cheese on top of like a pretzel bun just some type sort of chaotic sandwich this this snuck right under our radar it's like we drove past a thing of tater tots on the street or something like that we're not gonna pay any attention to it it's well now we've got quadruple barrel cured pickles oh god but uh so august 12th was when this sandwich originally launched at mm. popeyes mm-hmm. by august 27th they were completely sold out nationwide yeah and this craze had just Taking the country by storm. And around that time was when you and I were like, do we need to do this on the show? <laughs> and then the next day it was like, this sandwich is no longer available. Yep. Yep. And so it was 24 hour news. I mean, this was on every news channel oh, for yeah. a week straight, nonstop people talking and, about this. I mean, this. it was, it was a classic viral story. It was yeah. the kind of thing everyone wanted in on, which is yeah. like, it's just amazing that like, yeah, there's a lot of these fast foods that are kind of, that are out there kind of mm-hmm. weird. And it, it makes sense why the idea of that item would catch on and people would want to try it. But this, again, it's just like, it's a chicken sandwich. <laughs> I'm sure it's good, but like, it's so, I can't remember another fast food item that has been so popular so fast, just yeah. based on quality and not yeah. based on some like unique, you know, kind of a gimmick. Feature. Almost exactly. A gimmick. Yeah. 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 I, I totally agree. And I think, not only did this sandwich give us uh, some headlines, but also some of the best on-site interviews you can you can find online of people who are either waiting in line for the sandwich <laughs> or who have just been told they're sold out. 
I would highly recommend watching some supercuts of Popeye interviews, but uh, I am over the moon excited to try this. We had contingencies in place. We did not. Yes, we, we had were, backups. We were not sure this was going to happen. You had tried ordering on the app this week and said they took it off the app. Yeah, I mean, it was, I, I don't need to go through all the details. Basically, the sandwich was brought back about a week ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it was on their app, and then it was not on their app. I, I went to the store tonight, and like the weight wasn't that bad. Like, yeah. and they had lots of sandwiches there ready, mm-hmm. and so like, which is cr- surprising. Clearly, they're prepped. You know, because they, they took Sunday. months. It's true. It's a Sunday. Chick Fil A's not. Chick Fil A's closed. But yeah, but they, they were ready. To me, just based on my very anecdotal experience, I think the hype has already mellowed out yeah. quite a bit in just the week since it's returned. But for me personally, haven't tasted it yet. The hype is at an all-time high. Oh, man. So high. So high. Which is the exact opposite uh, as my you know kind of mood going into the movie we watched this week. Because I had nothing. I knew nothing about this movie other than Timmy C. Mm-hmm. And it's called The King. That's literally all I knew. And even the picture on Netflix is just Timmy C's face. Mm -hmm. I knew nothing else about it. And my hype was very low. And the food hype is very high. So it's going to be an interesting week. I kind of want to see if we land kind of in the middle from both of these, you know, kind of opposite ends of the spectrum. Our idea for the food and movie pairing was that clearly the sandwich is the king of fast food at the moment. But we're going to find out soon if that really is an apt title. I fully agree. And if this movie is the king of movies. (laughs) So before we get there, Mm. uh, It's been quite a while since you and I just sat down and talked about every last thing we've been experiencing in life. What do you say we do that right now and uh, hash out some nimble news? It's been like three weeks. I think we should should probably do it. Nimble news. Before we get into nimble news, though, Nathan, I do want to give an update on Red Lobster. Uh, I had a horrendous (laughs) experience, as outlined in our episode on The Lighthouse, that was two episodes ago? One episode ago. The last one? The last episode, which I am still going to post that picture of the lobster on Instagram at some point. Probably tonight. Uh, After my recent experience of complaining and being greatly rewarded, I thought, maybe I'll send Red Lobster out and just say, hey, this wasn't ideal. And I did. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, I am getting a gift card mailed to me from Red Lobster, the amount of which I have no idea. I'm expecting <laughs> two to three hundred dollars. They said it's going to be about fourteen days. Uh, I don't know why. Takes a while <laughs> for the print. Long. It might, uh, but I will provide another Red Lobster update once that gift card comes in, and I bring Nathan back so we can sit down. And order two more lobster tails. <laughs> I was going to say meals. that we're kind of obligated to do them again in yeah, an episode. Fully agree. We've gotten a lot of backlash about the fact that red lobster is clearly not fast food, which is yeah. something that you and I just don't really care about. No, not at all. I think that we play pretty the, fast and loose. <laughs> the line, the line between fast food and non-fast food is. I mean, it's very blurred. If you ask anyone what their definition of fast food is, no one agrees on it. No. It's it's like is it a drive through? Is it that you order at a counter? Is it's it a Chipotle type restaurant? Yeah, exactly. right. Is it is it the speed or the price? Like what factors into it? I mean, in theory, the Red Lobster was going to be much more fast food because it was going to be curbside service. But right. as listeners to our last Let's episode, not no, go into that. Wasn't the case. Uh, so about those nimble <laughs> news. <laughs> Let's get into it. Nimble news is the part of the show where we review all things new as quickly as we can possibly do. That means new music, shows, purchases, experiences, even new food or movies we don't have time for in our main discussion. Kevin, are you ready? I am absolutely ready. And let's hear it. 
I signed up to start receiving the New York Times daily briefing emails. The headlines are great, uh, but unfortunately, there's a paywall for most of the articles once you read about four articles in a month. So, meh. But I have found the new highlight of every day from this email. It is the New York Times mini crossword puzzle. It takes under five minutes to do. It's so fun. I race with people at work. I love the New York Times mini crossword. You can do it every day for free. Highly recommend. I watched Crawl. It's a movie it. about a girl and her father who have to fight off a gator while they're trapped in their house during a hurricane. And here's the thing. It's a low-budget thriller. The acting is not great. They couldn't get a lot of money this for this one. The CGI is pretty rough at times. It has limitations, but it did exactly what I wanted it to do, which is that it kept me on the edge of my seat until the very end. It starts from a very simple premise, but it's filled with such imaginative action sequences and like genuinely terrifying surprises i dug the movie and afterwards i immediately canceled my florida honeymoon i i have to say i have given you access to my prime amazon prime video rental service and the movies you are consistently renting (laughs) are of such low quality (laughs) that my recommendations are just absolute trash out the window oh my god it's just you rented like child's play crawl and one other terrible movie in like a weekend and it was just like all the stats of anything else i'd watched just went out the window they're like something happened to this man in his life and he's completely changed you are blocking out that i do also rent good movies and then and you're aware of it and you can also watch them even though i'm paying for them to be rented and then you don't watch them i do want to say my next one is one that you rented recently uh, and it was actually already free on hulu uh, all right well let's hear it so i want to just let you know that i watched a missing link with my son on Hulu for free. Unlike Nathan who paid probably $4 for it. It's a stop motion movie about an explorer who finds, who goes on a search to find the missing link. It is absolutely beautiful. And I know me and Nathan have often gushed about stop motion films, such as Isle of Dogs, Mm -hmm. uh, any other stop motion film we like to gush about, but the shots and scenery in this movie are absolutely stunning. It's very Wes Anderson esque, but it's not Wes Anderson. There's some good slapstick humor and some really witty banter as well. Um, the main character and kind of his journey to becoming a better person is actually kind of just a really nice tale. And it's got some old tropes, you know, old Western bar fights and things like that, but it's just such a beautiful movie. And it's kind of got a a pretty intriguing social commentary too on, you know, new inventions and, and technology versus old society. And it was a great movie. I absolutely love this movie and I don't know how it flew under the radar so much this year. And I hope it gets a nom for best animated movie. I liked it a lot, too. It's from uh, Leica Studio, which also made Kubo and the Two Strings. Kubo is such a fucking good movie. Yeah, I liked Kubo a lot. Oh. But yeah, Missing Link is, I mean, it's its just gorgeous. Like there's, I, I sat there thinking about, because I, I mean, I'm the kind of person that just gets so wrapped up in the visuals of a movie yes. that sometimes I get distracted. And this I was like, is- and there were so many parts where I was like, this cannot be stop motion. This mm-hmm. has to be CGI made to look like stop motion mm-hmm. because I don't understand how they made this look so good. And then the, in the credits, yep. you, they show a shot. They show the process of like a five second shot. Yeah. And it had to have been a day, oh, at, at least. least a day. At least. And like, what's so insane is like, you think of stop motion, like you have a camera in place and you, it's someone moving the characters by a bit. But like the way they make these movies now is that the camera is on a rig mm-hmm. that is, it does beautiful camera movements just yes. like the best movies with the best cinematography mm-hmm. you're seeing the same kinds of shots but between every single frame yes. somebody is walking up to the set yeah and changing something and every, then going back and they take a frame there are scenes in this movie on a ocean boat 
where the whole boat is rocking the entire time. The characters are sliding around. The objects on tables are sliding around. It blew my mind thinking about yeah. how they did it. it. And again, this is why I appreciate stop motion movies so much, but this one really knocked my socks off. And yeah. I, if it doesn't get at least a nod or a nom for best animated picture, I will honestly be upset. And the actors were great too. Galifianakis was hilarious. In this yeah, movie. he was really, he was oh, really fun. Highly recommend. It's a free watch. Unless you're Nathan, then it's three ninety nine. <laughs> Kevin, you know I'm a pretty big fan of Kanye West. Yeah, now, do, for those who may not follow his career very closely, in the last year or so, he has made a full-on pivot towards gospel music. For a while now, he's been putting on these Sunday service performances that feature this really great choir. They perform some renditions of Kanye's songs, mm-hmm. and they also do a lot of classic gospel songs. Mm-hmm. And at times, these services barely even involve Kanye himself. Mm-hmm. But he's basically just there overseeing it all. But they sound fantastic. They do. And a couple weeks ago, Kanye released his own new album called Jesus is King, which for the most part is a solo album, not with the choir. So I thought you were talking about the number of stars it got in its reviews. <laughs> so basically, this is our, our first taste of what new Kanye music really sounds like from this chapter of his life. And I was so intrigued to hear what kind of direction he took. And the album is not good, <laughs> if you haven't heard. Yes. There... There are bits of interesting ideas and music throughout. Like there was a lot of potential as some pretty good beats, but the execution is just so underdeveloped and the lyrics are just so shallow. He sounds like a middle schooler who went to youth group once and decided to turn his life around. I think that's what he is. <laughs> like, to be fair, again, to be fair. big been a big fan of him for years, but in recent years, his lyrics have been lacking. But like, you would think that after going through whatever spiritual rebirth that he has, he would have something interesting to say about it, but he just doesn't. I could go on forever. I'm just passionate because I know what he's capable of. And this is just a massive bummer. I was so excited to hear it. I knew you were going to do it on newbies and that's why I haven't asked for your opinion on this. I knew you were going to do one. And I was so intrigued to hear if you somehow could find a way to like this <laughs> mental gymnastics. Like what is he going to say? Cause I listened to it for like 10 minutes and I was like, I can't even listen to this anymore. I can't do it. It was so bad. You think being closer to God would help, but apparently not the, not the answer. Now we're doing the chicken sandwich and Popeye's tonight. Did you make it to the Chick-fil-A song? Uh, no God, there's a fucking Chick-fil-A song. There's a song that the opening line is closed on Sunday. Mm you might Chick-fil-A. And then yeah. later he mentions that you're my number one with the lemonade. I mean, once you become Christian, Chick-fil-A is the only food I think you're allowed to eat. Yes. Chicken, Chick-fil-A and Hobby Lobby. Those are the only places you can go. <laughs> you gotta eat there. You gotta do it. Uh, <clears throat> on a lighter note and a better note for the music world, I listened to Earl St. Clair's new album, Potluck. I previously mentioned this man and his beautiful voice in the Nimble News, I believe, and told you exactly how to get into his music. Again, I'd tell you what episode it's in, but who can go back and find that? This album, Potluck, is uplifting in such a simple way. It's kind of an always look on the bright side of life mentality with amazing instrumentals, damn good beats, and it's just such a bright light in today's kind of sad, terrifying world. Huge variety of genres and types of music on this. It goes from rap to blues to funk to pop to rock. It's all on one album. It is 39 minutes long, and I cannot recommend it enough. Do it while you're cleaning your place or running errands. It just kind of gives you that sunshiny feeling, and I fucking love this man. If he ever comes to Madison, I'm going to see him three times. 
I'm also trying to stop swearing as much on this podcast because I went to a family event last weekend and several aunts and uncles told me I need to stop swearing so much. (laughs) This is why no one I'm related to knows about this podcast. (laughs) On the same day that Kanye released his new album, Jesus is King, he also released a 38 minute long film in IMAX for one week only. And it was also called Jesus is King. And despite how disappointed I was in the album, I thought, this could be my only chance to ever see this. He's he's done like films before where he released it in theaters and it never hit digital. It would never saw the light of day. So I thought, I have to check this out. And I thought maybe if the film is good, it might change my feelings towards the album a little bit. So like, why not check it out? And you might assume this would be some kind of like visual version of the album, something like Beyonce's Lemonade maybe. Yeah. But surprisingly, the Jesus is King film is almost completely unrelated to the album. Instead, it is a series of performances by the Sunday Service Choir shot at the Roden Crater in Arizona. And if you're not familiar with what that place is, I would recommend Googling that for an idea of what it looks like because it's unlike anything I've ever seen before. And it makes for just the most gorgeous shots really that I've ever seen. The acoustics in there make the choir just sound incredible. And I, I think that as a whole, the film didn't really amount to that much, especially the ending that centers more on Kanye himself, but there were so many stunning moments throughout that I'm very glad I saw this film in this format when I had the chance. And if Kanye were to take a few years off of music and make some more films instead, I would not be mad. Wow. Speaking of email subscriptions, I recently subscribed to Robin Hood's Snacks. It's a daily email that considers itself digestible financial news. And while I do not endorse Robin Hood at all, because it's a great way for a bunch of idiots who think they know what stocks to bet on to lose a ton of money, um, or decent people who think they know what stocks to bet on to lose a ton of money, uh, this is one of the most fascinating emails I get, and I'm actually excited to read it every day. It's a great take on things I would probably never otherwise hear about, startup news and kind of industry financials about companies that are making big changes or taking risks that are actually just super intriguing and and really well-written. Um, it's got fascinating information and stats. It's got a daily podcast that pairs with it as well. Robinhood Snacks, subscribe to it for like a week and give it a shot and see what, see what you think. I just look forward to it every day, Nathan. I tried Arby's Steak and Bacon Melt Sandwich, which features thick sliced petite filet steak, melted cheddar, pepper bacon, crispy onions, and steakhouse ranch on a ciabatta roll. You know what? I enjoyed it very much. The filet strips were tender and flavorful. The ciabatta bun was so soft. The bacon and onions threw a nice crispy texture into the mix. And that steakhouse ranch was delicious. And Kevin, it got me wondering, why don't we ever eat Arby's on this show? Oh, I've never thought of that. I saw Lizzo live in concert. And let me tell you, I have never seen a crowd worship a performer like they did that night. It was absolutely insane. Her confidence is off the charts. She absolutely owned the stage. And it was one of the best concerts I've ever been to. I was singing along to every song. I was moving along to every song. There were even some rude people in front of me, of course, who just seemed to probably the same people I run into in the theater all the time. But nothing could ruin my mood. And it was fucking amazing. There's no way to sum it up more succinctly than just fucking let me clean it up for my aunts and uncles absolutely amazing and incredible uh cannot recommend her enough it's her time she is the popeye's chicken sandwich of the music world right now as if the world wasn't already worshiping her enough i love that her tour setup is basically just church yeah just like hey you know what we're all here Mm -hmm. for the same reason Mm -hmm. and it was i mean it was honestly an elevated experience it was i was right there next to you and it was yeah, I've never really experienced anything quite like it. No, it was uh, the 
yeah, just amazing how the whole crowd gave themselves fully to her. It was like a mega church Sunday service or something. It was almost eerie, but just really electric. Kanye showed up. Yeah. I saw Parasite, the latest film from Bong Joon-ho about a lower-class Korean family whose lives become entangled with an upper-class family. And this is a movie unlike anything I've ever seen. And I appreciate it on that level alone. But in terms of the tone of the film, it kind of felt like two or three movies mashed together into mm-hmm. one. There's kind of a, a comedy aspect about a family pretending to be something they're not, which I loved. And by the end, there's like some dark social commentary. And I really did appreciate the message. But I think that the path it took to get there, for me, kind of dragged. And the way that it tried to balance multiple genres just didn't quite work for me as well as I wish it had. I think it's definitely worth checking out at some point, but I don't think it's one that you need to rush out to see. I would, now I just saw this as well. I would say rush out to see it. I do feel very similarly to you. And I, this is a movie I almost wanted to do an episode on because you're absolutely right. It is so many genres kind of crammed into one. And I do appreciate that the first kind of comedic, I don't want to say third of it, but I, I would <laughs> say that I think it's very clearly divided. Into it is. I think that there's, specific moments when you feel act two is class act three has begun but i fully agree that it is in i walked out thinking the connections just aren't quite there between them it 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 could be three separate short films in like a collection and it would be i'd have the same experience i feel like they it it does feel kind of forced in the end to it left me with some questions but i think it's a beautiful movie i think it's a very unique movie and i think it's meant to be seen in theaters but I liked it. I liked the movie, but I fully agree that there's something that just doesn't quite fit right. Mm -hmm. It's like a a square trying to fit into a a rhombus-shaped hole. I went to see Kishibashi live. This is a man who I really only knew one or two of his songs and absolutely loved. The song I knew and loved was Honey Body by Kishibashi. I bought tickets to his show, and he absolutely blew me away. Him and his band, they do a lot of looping. It was much more lively than I thought. He's a violinist. Um, So I thought it would be a little more classical and reserved, but this concert blew me out of the water. The real treat and the real reason I wanted to do a NIMBY on this is because of his opening act, and she also plays in his band, was a gal who goes by Pip the Pansy. She is a, and this is a bold statement, a better flautist than Lizzo. She does looping, has incredible range. Her music is almost like Billie Eilish mixed with a pixie. Uh, and it's super wholesome. She got really into it with the crowd. It was on a level of Lizzo-esque electricity, and I cannot stop listening to Pip the Pansy. It will definitely not be for everyone. Uh, neither will Kishibashi, but if you haven't listened to either of those, I would highly recommend checking out both after seeing them live. I recently had lunch at the Stone Eagle Tavern in Rockford, Illinois, and while perusing the menu, one of their sandwiches caught my attention. It's called The Three Pigs, and I'm going to read you the exact description. Anthony Bourdain, a.k.a. No Reservations, <laughs> declared... Yeah, f- first of all... What? They are, I think, uh, implying that his nickname is No Reservations, but let me restart. Yeah, regardless. Anthony Bourdain, a.k.a. No Reservations, declared this, the greatest sandwich he ever tasted. Wow. <laughs> Sliced ham, the first pig, creamy cheese, sweet maple bacon, the second pig, Skillet fried egg and hand breaded sliced fried pork tenderloin, the third pig. Wow. All between a stone eagle made brioche butter toasted bun. Yum. So I read this and thought the wait, the Bourdain endorsement wasn't enough. They had to add they had to add a yum <laughs> at the end of this just, just to really sell you. Okay. 
So I read this and thought, first of all, it does sound great. Yeah. And second of all, Anthony Bourdain, who was known for traveling the entire world in search of great cuisine, gave this sandwich in Rockford, Illinois, the utmost praise. There's so as a no fellow way. food aficionado, I felt morally obligated to order it. This sandwich was so mediocre. I was baffled. So then I Googled it. Turns out that Anthony Bourdain ate the three pig sandwich in Chicago at a completely unrelated restaurant called the Silver Palm. And now the Stone Eagle Tavern in nearby Rockford is using his words in order to sell their own completely disappointing version of the same concept. Zero stars. I want to start a riot about this right now. We who can we call? <laughs> what what legal enforcement can be put upon this terrible place? Maybe they found a guy whose nickname was No Reservations and whose real name was Anthony Bourdain, just coincidence, and said, "Hey, can you just give us a line about this, Sammy, real quick?" Uh, I will say, once he said that, there's a place nearby us, about an hour away, called Bob's Bitch and Barbecue, which mm-hmm. has a similar three pig style sandwich called the Piglet. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is pulled pork, uh, three slices of bacon, and smoked ham topped with Swiss cheese and served on a grilled sourdough roll, which is actually quite nice. So if you're looking for a fix, that Bourdain would actually have probably enjoyed, but probably not have quoted as the best sandwich in the world. Uh, you don't have to drive that far next time. I recently rewatched the film Small Soldiers with my son. The plot is still amazing. There are so many references I caught watching this as, as an adult. There are references to Frankenstein, references to Apocalypse Now, um, references that just completely flew over my head when I watched this as a child. The cinematography is actually amazing. It's shot like a true war movie. The soundtrack is just like a Vietnam War era movie. <laughs> There's lines in it like, the Marines did this to Noriega as toys torture each other. I love the smell of polyurethane in the morning. The CGI and practical effects in this movie are both actually pretty good for the year it came out, which I think is maybe late 90s, early 2000s. I didn't even give it the time to Google that. Um, but it is, it's really worth the watch. If you watched it as a kid and liked it, I played a computer game that I was obsessed with also about this. Uh, I would highly recommend giving it another watch. It was easy to stream, free to stream, uh, and it is it really holds up. And the 90s fashion, again, is off the charts great. Well, that is all the time we have for Nimble News. Now let's dig in to those Popeye's chicken sandwiches and Netflix's The King. I'm pumped about these Sammies. All right, these sandwiches are in kind of like a sleeve similar to a Chick-fil-A. Definitely uh, a higher quality material, I would say. It's made to keep that heat in. <clears throat> yes. You know? I, I will say you brought these in an insulated container. Uh, and when you open that, the smell that wafted out. Knocked oh. me off my socks. There it's, really is nothing. Knocked not you off sh- your socks. I wasn't wearing shoes. <laughs> You're <laughs> standing on, on socks. <laughs> I was. There's really nothing that compares to the smell of fast food chicken, whether it's KFC <sighs> or Popeyes. Even McDonald's smells pretty good. Yeah, it's. I just. I don't get it, but I want it in my mouth. So let's open these up. A little paper sleeve too. Oh, those barrel aged pickles. Two pickles on mine. How many pickles on yours? Uh, I got a couple, yeah. Uh, let's not really waste any more time. I want to get into it. Pickle bite first? Pickle bite. Did we just get teleported to Nashville? This tastes like a straight out of a, a, a Anthony Bourdain endorsed restaurant. <laughs> I'm into it. I'm it, way into it. It's, it's really good. It is, I would say, very similar to a Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich. I think the spices of the breading... 
This is better. Yes. I think it tastes better for sure. The pickles are actually really good. Really good. The like this is, aging is. I've really never had a fast food pickle that tasted quite no, like this. They're it's, thick it's slices too. Would I, would I wait in line? Would I, would I try to kill somebody for this? Like probably not. I guess it depends on the size of the line, but it's, it's damn good. And looking at like both of our, our chicken breasts. I mean, this is, they're nice and thick. Oh yeah. <laughs> like there's, there's a lot of mass here. Thick boys. I think the bun could be improved on a little uh, dry, a little bland, but the chicken is the star. The pickles might actually be the star of this. I think so. I think that you're very right about the bun. I think that's the one thing Chick-fil-A has on this. Chick-fil-A's mm-hmm. buns are pretty good. Mm-hmm. This is not quite as good as theirs. I mean, is there is there any other fast food chicken sandwich you think would compare to this, like in this echelon? Honestly, dude, honestly, the McDonald's buttermilk crispy chicken sandwich is very similar to this and is up there, but... These pickles, I think, are what's winning me over. You know, was it Popeyes that did the pickle fried chicken not that long ago? Um, I think KFC. Was that KFC? Yeah, yeah. It's just like there's such a strong pickle flavor with this, and I fucking god damn it, I really need to stop swearing. You just I, get so excited. With I get so passionate about fast food. I love pickles, and the taste of it pairs so nicely with fried chicken. And this is like one of the best pairings: the spices on the chicken, like you said, and this pickle. Just really, I would eat. I'd blend those together and just drink it through a straw. That's how much I like it. Well, you're in luck because that is our spoiler snack. <laughs> good. I could do another one of these. The chicken is just white meat. It's juicy. It's good. It's moist all the way through. It's like better than any KFC chicken I've ever had. That's a tall clam. I love KFC. Mm-hmm. I think it's right up there. I mean, size-wise, though, you don't get a big chunk of meat like this at KFC, I feel like. That's true. KFC's chicken, the breading to meat ratio is definitely much higher. Yeah. This is... Less breading, a lot of meat. A lot of meat. I want more pickles, though. Two pickles is not enough. Do you think they sell their pickles? Just like... I would think in... By like, the barrel. By the barrel, yeah. <laughs> can we just get one? We can, pod- we can use this as our podcast table. We have not yet once mentioned the mayonnaise. I was going to say, I want to try it with the spicy Cajun sauce, because there's, there's yeah. not much... The mayo's not coming through. Very curious about the, the spicy alternative. We'll have to go back. How much How much did these run you? Mm, about four bucks each. That's worth it. That's well worth it. Even the piece of bun where a pickle was just kind of adjacent to it that has a little bit of that taste is so nice with that chicken. I can't believe it. It's like those memes about LaCroix where it's like <laughs> stored next to a strawberry. Even the bun that's just sitting next to the pickle is, is still quite a good. star. I wish... I lived closer to a Popeye's regularly because if I drove past one on the way to or from work, I'd probably get one both ways every day. It's true. There's So you and I live about a half hour apart from each other and like mm-hmm. both of our sides of town have a lot of fast food offerings, but our Popeye's is a little out of the way. Yeah. It's kind of like it makes a triangle, like our, our homes and Popeye's. Yeah, I wish if it was a lot closer to me, I would probably get this a lot more often, but... It's good. It's a it's good, good sandwich. It's very good. I mean, Everyone, that, go take a taste for yourself. Oof. Find out. Find out what you think. You know, the, the weights apparently aren't that long. Not anymore. And the pickles alone are worth it. I'm currently googling if they sell Popeyes pickles. I don't think they do, <laughs> which is terrible news. Also, Justin Bieber wrong again about something. Shockingly, he said this sandwich was not worth the hype, and I say. Nothing you've ever done in your life, Justin, has been worth the hype, and I hope you die alone. Um, But I didn't swear when I said that, so that's good. Something that I think cannot be hyped enough is Timothy Chalamet. I knew you were going to say Timmy C. He is, in my opinion, he is the most 
watchable star of his generation. Mm. Like, I don't just mean that he's a fantastic actor. He is. And it's not just that he's like extremely good looking, which he is. He is. That bone structure, man. All of that combined with, like, with every role, his physicality his, is just so like alluring. Is emotionality a word like his ability to emote just from his face like and it's that beautiful goddamn bone structure he has but even just watching his jaw muscles clench and like it gives you 10 different shades of anger or or emotion from that it is amazing to watch him perform and i fully agree and he's been in so he's done so many films he's taken a hiatus now i guess uh he's recently said he yeah so basically like i mean he had call me by your name a couple Mm -hmm. years ago and he, he was you know that's when he kind of blew up. Mm-hmm. Lady Bird, he had more of a minor role. Beautiful yeah. Boy last year yeah. was great. But like... Played the mermaid in the lighthouse. Correct. Mm-hmm. With, with every one of his roles, it's like... It's not that he has like this signature Timothy Chalamet kind of movements. But with every role, it's totally different. Yeah. Completely appropriate for that character. But yeah, it's his, his body and face. He's just on another level. And there's no one who I enjoy just staring at more yeah. on the screen. I mean... You think of I think of some of like my favorite actors of all time, and it's it's obviously a very hard list. But in terms of physicality, he's on the same par with like a Christian Bale or a Joaquin Phoenix, or in, in my mind, like an Ed Norton or Sam Rockwell. Like he's he's just so unique in every role, and he is he's just powerful to watch, and you believe every character he plays mm-hmm. you, because he emotes so well and so much. He sells it. He just sells it. This movie, The King, is really about how power changes a person mm-hmm. and how his character does so much like ruminating like so much just processing situations yeah. and not necessarily speaking about them and so these changes he's going through because he goes through a lot of changes in this film we oftentimes we, we have to see them on his face rather than through his words and mm-hmm. he is just the perfect young actor for that yeah I didn't know anything about this movie going into it, and I saw it was a two-hour and 20-minute runtime, I want to say. It was a long movie, and I was like, I was sick this weekend. I had to watch this last night. I wanted to go to sleep. It was like 9 o'clock. I was like, God damn it. A, I'm going to miss SNL. B, this movie I don't know anything about. I'm not sure if it's going to be that good. And a lot of it is, it's, it's a, there's a lot of nonverbal scenes. There's a lot of people walking around, people looking at each other, and it never, at least to me, I was never got sick of that or never bored because everyone in this movie, I think, Timmy C being being the best at it, but mm-hmm. everyone else does a really, really good job of showing emotion through silence mm-hmm. and, and conveying how they're feeling through silence. And it is, it's a long movie, but to me at least, and this movie oddly enough got panned. I, I kind of looked it up after. It's getting a lot of hate. I was not bored at one point in this movie. I was pretty intrigued. I wasn't like on the edge of my seat, but I was like, Huh, I wonder what's going to happen. I wonder what's going to happen. And it didn't seem slow. It didn't seem like a two hour and 20 minute long movie to me. This is confirming that deep in you and I's cores, we are the exact same person. <laughs> because I could not agree more with every word you just yes, said. This, this movie, it, yeah, I, I've really heard nothing good about it no. from anyone, critics or fans. And I loved it. <laughs> I really, really, really liked it. And I, there were so many points where I was like, is my infatuation with Timothy Chalamet kind of skewing my opinion of this? But, like, I, when I just, like, kind of think through all the aspects I loved about it, he's one of many things that I think were great. Here's what I think is skewing you. Here's what I think is skewing you. Timmy, your love for Timmy C definitely is. I wouldn't say I loved this movie. I would say I, I liked it. I liked it, and I think it's worth watching. 
Um, I think your love for Timmy C is skewing you. I think your love for Robbie B is also, or Robbie P, I apologize, Robert Pattinson. Um, because when uh, he came, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. When he came into this movie, though, I like, I got giddy. I literally stood up and was like, had to shake it out yeah. of my giddiness because that, hey, it's, his character is such a contrast from the character we just saw him in the lighthouse, the exact opposite person. (laughs) Like I, his intro scene, I paused it before he said a word just based on his physicality. And I was like, yeah, Robert Pattinson is talented as hell. And it is, it is so (laughs) far from what you would ever expect. from His character. Yeah. Um, but I think both of those are probably skewing it. And, I think your love for just a good, you know, historically accurate uh, film also. I mean, as we just talked about in our last episode, historically accurate films and like period pieces, mm-hmm. those don't usually speak to me that much. Like, so this is based on Shakespeare's Henry V. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I respect and enjoy Shakespeare. I'm not like a huge Shakespeare fan. I'm not I'm not that interested in this time period or like the subject matter that much. Mm-mm. But. Man, I, I I enjoyed it so much. I think I, that did you know it was based on Shakespeare before you went into this? Like, did you know? Because um, I, I found myself asking a lot through this film, like, God, I wonder if this is like a historically accurate story. I wonder if this is based on a work of fiction. I had no idea. I guess I didn't know until after. But like, I mean, Shakespeare itself is like not that accurate to oh, history. No, no, no. So like, this, but I, I don't even know how accurate this is to the Shakespeare play. Mm-hmm. So it's like playing telephone yep. with the story of Correct. Henry. But like, okay, if this film is a car. Timothy Chalamet is in the driver's seat. <laughs> but the engine that's keeping the momentum going full force is the score. Oh, man. I cannot get over how good the score is. Can I? T- okay, so you know what? I, it actually just clicked because you posted on, on either your Snapchat or something while you were listening to the score. Like, I wanted this. I needed this. And I did not notice the score until I literally wrote, first time noticing the score. Page through it here. <clears throat> right when they... Well, I can't get to that point until much later on in the movie. And then once I did, I was like, wow, this score is it, gorgeous. And I think that that is the mark of a great score. It's so understated. Mm-hmm. It's pretty well, simple. It is It is the you know nonverbal kind of emotionality of the actors. It's the perfect complement to that. It yeah. is a parallel. Perf- it's understated, but it's there. And you, even if you don't notice it really, you still are absorbing it and experiencing it exactly. in, in a great way. I think the phrase is, you didn't notice, but your brain noticed. That's right. Like, you feel it, even though oh, yeah. you're not thinking about it. And it wasn't until I, the next day, listened to the score at work, and I was like, oh my god, this score is phenomenal. And I think, well, that's that's why both, you know, a silent movie like this doesn't work well. Or not, it's not a silent movie, but a quiet movie like this right, doesn't work well. Right, in terms of dialogue. Yeah. Unless you have a score like that to kind of guide... Where, yeah. what these characters are feeling because without that score yes you can look at Timmy C clenching his jaw but to know if he's angry or to know if he's sad or to know if he's nervous you need that difference in tempo you need that difference in tone in the score and once I finally realized it I was like whoa this score is great but it was so understated but it was absolutely guiding everything I was interpreting from the film yeah oh it was very good it was very very good I mean, I, th- I think that it's pulling just as much weight as his performance. Like, they're, yeah. they're really the two pillars of this film mm-hmm. that made it so fun to watch. And, like, I will say, the only thing in this film that might rival Timothy Chalamet's performance and the score is his wardrobe. Oh, man. The costumes in this film are astounding. <clears throat> wow, there goes my... Took my breath away. <laughs> they are... Ast- the costumes in this film are astounding. I was the armor... 
you know, in the battle scenes, the royal regalia. Once he becomes king, every scene. Oh. I mean, at one point I stood up and I was like, are, are we seeing this right yeah. now? Look well, at him. He wears the same jeans you're wearing right now. That's one <laughs> issue I had is like, they did not have skinny jeans. I know that Timmy C loves a good heroin chic look. But they did not have these black skinny jeans back then. That was the one issue I took with his costumes. But he looks fucking baller. See, again, the period accuracy of this, I don't give a shit about. <laughs> he looks so good. Yeah. He's, his robes are just magnificent. Mm-hmm. At one point, there's this jacket and chain he wears. Yes. That, like, he looks like he's either from 500 years ago or 500 years in the future. Yes. I don't know which one. Yeah. It just looks so like timelessly great. It is. There's one scene where he's, you know, he's literally, a king. Yes. There's one scene where he's a straight up Sith Lord. Yeah. And I was like, oh, we need a <laughs> Timothy Chalamet Star Wars film. Oh, yeah. I would love to see him in that. No, I, I, I fully agree. The accuracy aside, because that I have issues with that. It's amazing. And the same with the sets. I mean, the sets and the landscape shots uh, are beautiful. And I, again, when I looked this film up afterwards, I was like, why is everyone hating this so much? Yeah. Why is it so... It must just be tainted when everyone's going into it from all this bad bad reviews. This movie to me is... It's like Gladiator meets Game of Thrones meets Macbeth. And it is done in, in, a, in a great way, I think. I think it's got its flaws, but I, I don't get why people don't like it. I, I think that another level of like why... I like this so much and why I don't get why no one else does is because, yeah, I'm a huge Timothy Chalamet fan. Yeah, I love music in films. So maybe I'm thinking about those things more than most people. The entire cast, though, oh, is man. so good. Sean Harris. Okay, so he's he plays the villain in like the two most recent Mission Impossible yes. films. And I remember like after seeing those films thinking like, he has the perfect voice for a villain, but it turns out he just has the perfect voice for anything. He's got that scratchy, whispery voice. It's so one of a kind. It is so perfect. And in this, throughout this whole movie, you know, there's there's a lot of characters in this movie, but he's the one who I wrote down early on, like, he's either super trustworthy and a great counsel or super untrustworthy and a terrible counsel. Uh, but he is amazing. The second I saw... Uh, a, I fucking love Ben Mendelsohn. He's one he's of my so great. favorite. When I saw him, I jumped up and said, Ben Mendelsohn's in this? I was so excited because I absolutely love He's also a man with a great voice. Who, oh, yeah. Who plays a phenomenal villain uh, and bad guy. And you can make anything sound you terrifying. Just, you just love to hate his characters. Yes. He's so good at playing characters that you just cannot and stand. He's got, he's got such a small part. I mean, uh, he's got a small part in this, but it is impactful as hell. And oh, his yeah. performance is great. Yes, it's great. It's really wonderful. And then right after that, Joel Edgerton comes on. Who he's I like fucking, unrecognizable. I, he, like, he, he, is. He, he put on so much weight. He did. He, he, a, like there yeah. was, at first, I straight up was like, oh, that guy kind of reminds me of Joel Edgerton, but yeah. I didn't even think that could possibly be him. I wrote, I couldn't remember his name, so I wrote a huge blank like in seven spots in my notes. And then I finally got it like halfway through the movie and I went back and filled in Joel Edgerton. But he's amazing in this. Like yeah, he's really, as really Falstaff, good. he is probably my favorite character in this if I'm yeah. just like rah rah rooting for people. Um but the whole yeah, you're absolutely right. Johnny Depp's daughter comes in, you know, like it's yeah. a great and she's in like two scenes and she's it's like a very one of the scenes I remember most vividly yeah. is when she delivers a few lines of dialogue yes. that really like hit home yeah. message. I was like, film. I don't know who that is. I'm going to look it up. And I was like, oh, shit. Okay. It's in her blood. I get it. Um, but no, you're absolutely... The performances are all good. Like, what is bad about this movie? The, is it the pacing people don't like, maybe? And see, 
again, I, I really liked it. I did too. I think that, but I, and I, I could see how if this exact same film had a really bad score, mm-hmm. I could see it feeling like a slog. I could see yeah. like the, the story on paper, I don't think is that enthralling of a concept, even like yeah. reading the script. I like, so the dialogue is like, it's, it is kind of Shakespearean, you know? And I, yeah. there are, like, I, I mean, I turned the subtitles on because there was a few lines I was kind of missing. And, like, the, the dialogue isn't that dense. Like, it's not no. it's not full-on Shakespearean. No. It's, it's very much inspired by it that. It does have similar issues to The Lighthouse, though, in terms of, you know, vocal to score volumes. Like, a lot of times the, the, the voices are a little too low in this for me. I have taken to not using subtitles on my first viewing of any film based on some recommendation from somebody who I admire in the film world. Um, and it was a huge struggle for me to watch this movie and not turn them on. Cause I really wanted to, I'm going to have to probably rewatch it when I have another three hours. But I think one issue that I have with this film is there are several lines and a few scenes that are directly out of game of Thrones in this movie directly, like almost word for word, shot for shot. I, I honestly was like, this is an episode of game of Thrones. This, I can tell you the episode. There's one shot specifically that is, I can pull up a picture from the Game of Thrones scene and a picture from this scene in The King, yeah. and you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. And that's why, in my mind, that's why I kind of was like, because ah, it put me off. That was one of my major issues with this, was a lot of these aren't that original. It makes sense that that's where you and I would differ, because I was not a Game of Thrones fan. I saw a few episodes. I would imagine that the the marketability of this film, Netflix was thinking, Game of Thrones just ended, mm-hmm. people miss it. So they're going to see a famous actor wearing similar clothes and think, oh, I'm going to watch that. So like, as I was watching, I was curious. I'm like, how similar is this to Game of Thrones? Yeah. I have no idea. So it's interesting that you say you made those comparisons because that's obviously, that's something that I don't know anything about. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's possible that like maybe Game of Thrones and this movie are both kind of drawing off of like the same inspiration? Or do you think that this is, it it feels straight up like a Game of Thrones copy at points? The thing is like, Medieval battle scenes are going to be knights fighting horses. You know, weaponry is going to be the same. Armor is going to be the same. Shot for shot, though, was my issue. Like, framing's the same. It, it was it was too much for me. It took me out of it. Mm-hmm. And it was at, like, almost a, a almost the climax of the film as well. Um, so I was, like, really hyped up to see how they were going to do this originally. And I was like, oh, they just copied Game of Thrones. Just a bit of a down, a bit of a bummer, you could say. Um, but... Other than that, like this, I I can't understand what people are taking issue with with this film. I really don't get it. One of my first thoughts when I finished the movie was like, I get why Netflix was probably the best way to release this film because I could totally see a movie like this doing very poorly at the box office. It's mm-hmm. like people just aren't showing up for these kind of films in theaters in 2019. Like this yeah. is a movie with no, there's no huge stars. It's a slow burn yeah. on the outside. It it doesn't seem like it's offering that much that's new. Again, it seems similar to Game of Thrones, just yep. like aesthetically. And this is the kind of movie that I know if this was in theaters, it would not do well. People would just wait to rent it or stream yeah. it down the road, probably. Yeah. But all that being said, I am so sad that I didn't get to see this in a theater. Because it would be great on the big just screen. seeing it and hearing it. Yeah. In the best I mean, environment possible would have made me so happy. There's so many establishing shots that are like 
put it as a fucking Windows. God, I really need to stop swearing. Put it as a Windows background or desktop. Like it is. Mm-hmm. I know that's not the like mark of beautiful framing. Well, I mean, I personally like my wallpaper on my computer is I'll I'll grab a shot from one yeah. of my favorite recent movies, and yeah, yes. that's exactly what I did with this film. Yeah, it's stunning. Some of these shots are, and it's like the French countryside, the English countryside, these castles, these. It's such a beautiful film, and it would be amazing to see, like, uh, oh, I would love to see it on a huge screen, but we probably, sadly, never will, uh, based on what, you know, it's it's reception, and, I mean, I went on Netflix to watch this last night, I had to, like, search for it. It wasn't on Popular Now or Trending Now, it wasn't, I mean, and I was like, yeah. I almost texted you, like, should we do an episode on this? Because nobody, I think, is, is going to watch it, but hopefully with the quad F bump, uh, you know, it'll get, a <laughs> we'll few, get back up on the home few page. Few hundred thousand more viewers, and 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 I think it will get the boost it needs. But it's, it's Netflix, just, Netflix is putting movies in the front window for everyone to see for yeah. a couple days, yeah, and then They're hiding gone. them. Well, and the thing is, like, because I again, I I, I want to make the Gladiator comparison because that's another super long movie that is you know it's pretty slow paced for the most part. Um, probably a little more action in that, but. That came out at such an earlier time before today's society is kind of the hyperactive short attention span, I think. And I think mm-hmm. that really changes things because I, I know that my friends who liked Gladiator would like this movie. I honestly do. And I have friends who worship that movie, but they probably don't have the patience to sit down and watch this for two and a half hours, even if it's at home. And they're going to be on their phone. And this movie, if you're on your phone, it's not for kind of passive watching. This is a movie for people who are going to sit and watch it and really get into the scenery, the emotions, the acting, the costumes. Again, every aspect of it is so beautifully done. And it's not a perfect movie by any means, but it is just fun to watch all that unfold right in front of you and be like, damn, they put some effort into this movie. Uh, But I think today's attention spans just might not work with a movie like this. If it was an hour and a half version, you know, maybe more people would watch it. But then what are you losing at, at, at that cost? I don't know. Have you heard, by the way, about how long The Irishman is? No, I haven't. It's like two, it's similar length, isn't it? Uh, so, okay, so just like to back up. Yeah. Obviously, last year Netflix had Roma, Alfonso <sighs> Cuarón's movie, which like kind of was the, Don't you know, that started. was the film that kind of pushed them into the more elite award season, kind of like, it was like, all right, Netflix is a serious contender. Yeah. And then this year, I like I think that the king. I think they probably thought this this would be in that echelon of movies, I but, I, but I don't think it will be. Mm-hmm. They also got the two popes with Anthony Hopkins. There's Marriage Story, which I'm very excited for. Mm-hmm. Uh, Adam Driver and ScarJo. <clears throat> but The Irishman, Martin Scorsese's new film, it's going to have a theatrical window of one month. Wow! Which most of these Netflix films have like two or three weeks, where like they're playing in like New York and LA. Yeah. It's just kind of like to fulfill the requirements of like, yeah, we have to show these in theaters in order to mm-hmm. be eligible for awards. The Irishman is playing around here. Oh, it's oh, already been confirmed. We got to go see it. Flicks Brewhouse. We, ha- we have to go see it. Let's go. The runtime is three hours and 29 minutes. Holy shit. Is there an intermission? <laughs> I don't know that. We're going to have to get, have you heard of uh, the stadium buddies or the stadium pal slash stadium gal? Is that where we pee into each other's uh, Not to each other's things. It's just a thing you wear that allows you to pee. Uh, we're going to need it. Because uh, for three and a half hours, even for Marty Scorsese and some great actors, I don't think I can hold it. <laughs> um, especially with the need to hydrate. But <clears throat> that's way too long. One question I have for you is, did you watch Netflix's Outlaw King? Uh, no, I don't even really know what that is. It was a similar movie that, that came out 
really not that long ago. It stars um, Chris Pine, Florence Pugh. Um, it looked really similar. It's also two hours and 20 minutes long. Total same period, same vibe. Didn't get a ton of buzz either and like totally fell off the map. I It was last year it came out. Um, and so I was surprised to see this movie, you know, when I heard they were making it, I was like, seems like your last one didn't do too well. And you kind of, maybe you had two in the hopper and just were like, pew, pew, let's shoot them out one year after another. But, um, this, the King actually has better ratings than the outlaw King. So I was just curious if you had any insight in that. I did not watch it either, but I might now. I'm very curious, like what metrics Netflix uses to judge how successful something was. It's like, yeah, they're with a few films, they're making a push into like a higher quality yes. of film but like we both know that there's a lot of shit that they just shovel on a netflix because they Is need there? they need a lot of content like yeah, there's yeah. a lot of shows and movies that are so subpar Princess that would never Switch. make it into theaters yeah. but it's like their, their bar isn't the same as you know other avenues and like i just wonder if it's just purely how many people watch the king or like how many people like maybe they're just closely watching how long are people watching it are yeah. they watching it for 10 minutes or an yeah. hour or two hours and 20 minutes i just i'm curious if like if they look at the statistics from outlaw king and the king and say all right in 2020 should we finance another of these period war yeah. pieces yeah. like is it just a niche that they're going to keep filling so that people just just to like diversify their library i don't know i i would be so curious to understand not only netflix's data but just how they use that data yeah it's, I, it's it's they they keep it so under wraps too, which yeah. is mind numbing because they have so much information on movies and what people like and what people watch and share almost none of it, right. which infuriates me. Because it's almost like it supports their entire business plan to not share the information. Does. It almost does, yeah. I mean, people are watching stuff. Trust us, <laughs> they're watching all the movies. Um, but no, I really hope more people watch this movie. Again, I don't love it as much as Nathan, but it is a beautiful movie and people worked really hard on this and the acting's great i don't know why you wouldn't watch it really if you like if you like movies so we have some spoilers to dig into but before we do that let's uh hear a word from our sponsors let's do it how do you fast food film friends listeners it's cold and flu season and if you're a parent you know what that means incessant sniffling from your young children is your child sniffling a mind-numbing 10 to 20 times per minute does that constant nasal drip feel like a maddening method of inhumane torture? Is that snotty in and out driving you to the edge of sanity? Have you finally said, BLOW YOUR NOSE for the absolute last time before you rip your child's nose off? Well, you're in luck. The Snotbot is ready for you. The Snotbot is a top-of-the-line, artificially intelligent robot that mercilessly follows your child around with tissues and blocks them from moving until they fully empty their nasal passages. The Snotbot Pro can also put up a six-foot-tall soundproof wall around your child to ensure you don't suffer from hearing those endless sniffles again. Go to snotbot.com slash fastfoodfilmfriends to get 50% off your Snotbot today. And we're back, and it's time for our Spoiler Snacks segment, the part of the show where we talk full spoilers about the entire film, and we eat a snack. Ooh. Now, I'm really, really excited for this <laughs> snack this week. We are going to eat. It's not a frozen drink, so I am also excited about this, unless you put a frozen drink into a paper bag. Close your eyes, please. Just by the sound of that, it sounds like a pie-type item. Go ahead and open I knew. I heard it sliding in that. It's the same type of container they all use. So it, it looks similar to like you know, like an apple pie. Mm-hmm. What we're about to eat is Popeye's spiced pumpkin and cream cheese pie. Oh my fucking! 
Oh my god. That features a cinnamon and sugar dusted turnover style pie crust piped with a spiced pumpkin and cream cheese filling. I am appalled. I am so upset with you right now. I'm sure you can imagine how excited I am. The smile on your face. You haven't (laughs) smiled that big since we've started this podcast. It's... Uh, the pumpkin lover that I am, as soon as I heard they had these, and apparently this is, it's not nationwide, it's very limited time and kind of spotty, and so I found out that we? our location had them in particular, man, I was just gleeful. Like, why do, do cream cheese and pumpkin go together normally? Coming from someone who just doesn't know the first thing about pumpkin. Oh my god, it's coated in cinnamon lips sugar like a churro. Exactly. Gross. Did you listen to my description I just read? No, I was rage. No, was of course my body. not. I mean, smell-wise, it smells just like a churro on the outside. But I, I know once we crack into these, I'm going to be disgusted. Let's not waste any time and dig in. Hit me. Your face looks like you you like it somewhat. <clears throat> it's like there are two carved pumpkins out on my front step right now that are slowly decaying and it tastes like i went outside dropped a bag of whatever cinnamon sugar on top of it and then just started lapping it up texture's terrible the flavor's not even there all you get is that cinnamon sugar there's barely any pumpkin flavor and it's i'm not having another bite of that and i'm mad at you yeah i think this is pretty good (laughs) uh I, I like this texture. What? I, I enjoy the coating, too. It is very churro-like. I mean, I would eat the churro-like breading, but the inside is like... I mean, the inside is like a softer pumpkin pie. It's way too soft, dude. That is... And it's basically lined with cream cheese on the sides. Mm. Uh, yeah, I'm going to take another bite. I am going to put mine down. God, I was so excited for like a classic apple pie from Popeye's. Okay. We've eaten apple desserts. Probably upwards of 40 to 50 times on this show. And four to 50? I've, I've started hearing some lip from you about how much we get apple stuff. You think you so I thought this was a nice variation. From, me from a pumpkin-based item. More importantly, oh my God. regardless of your opinion, I was still going to get this yeah, because this is right up my alley. It really is. You know, I use that expression uh, up your alley quite a bit now in my new line of work. And it's uh, kind of gross when you, when you really break it down. It, it actually came from a time when <laughs> each alley had one designated person. Mm. And if something was up your alley, it meant literally That's oh, your, the, the bag of trash on my alley. It's up your alley. Or, you know, the stack of terrible pumpkin cream cheese. If pies. one of these was up my alley, <laughs> I'd be satisfied. Well, there goes our last tell remaining you what, listener. Any day you want, mm. you come by. You put one of these up my alley. Yeah. <laughs> and we're going to be friends for life. <laughs> oh, God. I'm never using that phrase ever again. Never again. Speaking of things that are up my alley, this film, I want to get off the topic of these goddamn pumpkin things. As <laughs> Let me finish as mine first because I, I want to I gush about this movie with you, but I first want to gush this pumpkin liquid into my mouth. <laughs> it's... Mine's like half full too. Give me, give me yours right now. What? What are you doing? Just broke apart. What are you doing? I'm trying to see the inside. Look at that. That's what you're eating. Take a picture of that shit. Kevin just destroyed. For I don't know what scientific purpose he thought this would serve. I picked it up, but I'm still going to eat it for the record. Shattered in my hand. Now that mine has been 
basically turned inside out. I I just try to like a finger dip into the cream cheese. Terrible. And the pumpkin is it's just like random gel that they have absolutely saturated with pumpkin spice or pumpkin seasoning. It's not real pumpkin. That's not the color of pumpkin. You made a grave mistake, which was deconstructing oh, man. I don't a know fast how, food dessert. I don't know how you can look at what's in front the of me. The best way to enjoy this it. is by forgetting or just not learning in the first place hmm. how this was made. It looks so gross. On that note, I'm going to finish mine. Well, I'm going to slide mine over to you if you want to dip your dip your mouth in that. Put that up your alley. <laughs> Nathan, reassembling. Oh, my God. You're an animal. You're an absolute animal. Your jaw's putting an overtime on these things, looking like Timmy C. I embrace my membership in the animal kingdom. God. You know, Kevin, you're, in a way, kind of like the king of this podcast. Because as we learn in this movie, a king has no friends. <laughs> that's, that's a, uh, please, please speak English. I enjoy English. It is simple and ugly. Uh, fuck you, first off. And I'm sorry to my Uncle Barry uh, for swearing then. But it felt necessary that time. Barry, we have a Toy Story episode. Please just listen to that one. I probably it's, swear it's, that a fair amount, <laughs> in all honesty. I, I think really, your son did, too. Oh, he's got a filthy mouth. Um <laughs> That was the, there are some standout lines in this movie. A king has no friends being one of them. The, that Dauphine of France line when he says speak English and like his he does this hand gesture for <laughs> huge <laughs> balls of a tiny <laughs> cock when he like is insulting the king and it is so good. His character in this is is very short, mm-hmm. shortly involved in the, we're in spoiler section, short lived, yes. um, and I loved his character so much. Like the absolute epitome of what in my mind is a Frenchman. Um, very <laughs> cocky. Very stereotypical. Like super overly confident and just like, I'm going to piss on you and I'm going to look you right in the eye while I do it. Uh, and I absolutely love that. I absolutely loved it. And his end, everything that happens to him is so well-deserved. He makes you hate him in like 10 seconds. Mm-hmm. And then he makes you hate him way more in the next like seven minutes. And then he dies in like the best way possible. Right. It makes his demise so satisfying. So fucking satisfying. Giant balls with a tiny cock. No? Like, uh. And can we talk about Timmy C's French? I mean, astoundingly good. I think he... I'm not going to the Italian. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he he speaks wonderful French. Oh. I, it knocked me off my socks. <laughs> <laughs> As they say. <laughs> Speaking of uh, the Dauphin's uh, death scene, yes, I was so fascinated by the rules of war. You know, mm. all of the mm. things that they that both sides respect. I, I fully agree. I just want to point to one thing. I have I underline or highlight things in my notes mm-hmm. before an episode. This one I actually boxed in, uh, and I don't know if you can read my handwriting, but it's that one. Nathan, do you ever wish war was still like this? I was thinking to myself. I'm so curious about. How war stopped being like this. Obviously, like Guns. weaponry, yeah. like that changed that. But like, I know, like in in the Revolutionary War and the Civil War, it was like it was a clash of two sides who fought differently. And yeah. So it's like at, at some point, nations started being like, "All right, we just have to throw this all away." But like, it is amazing that there was a time when, like, no matter who you were fighting, mm-hmm. you knew that they just there was an understanding, and which is so weird because the world was so much less connected. It like, was. They couldn't even speak to each other without. That's literally sending a person mm-hmm. from one side to the other who's like, hey, hey, don't kill me. Just I'm literally like 
literally don't shoot the messenger. Yeah. Like that's where that comes from is like, I have to give you this message. Don't shoot me. There there's, we could do a whole podcast series on this, but like you think of the revolutionary war and it's, it's, you know, the red coats and they're marching in formation, much like they still were in England, you know, from these medieval times, they had that same, let's line up, let's pick a battlefield. Let's line up in this field and shoot at each other. Let's have a hundred people who all are way game to do this and do this. And then the, the minute men who are hiding in the Hills, shooting them randomly as they march down the path, like mm-hmm. demolish them. And that's, I think probably one of the huge turning points. And like, we probably shouldn't just stand in lines and shoot at each other. But in my head, like I would so much rather have, you know, rather than like drones dropping bombs on random people or like, random civilians being and just fighting in like cities and things like that send a hundred people from each side who are like warriors willing to fight and die for their country you know military men or whatever military people whatever it is send a hundred from each side and be like let's just settle it here or send one from each side like they do in this movie like they do in game of thrones which again is so similar uh there's a line in game of thrones that is like he offers it's just like in the scene where the king offers to fight the dauphin mm-hmm. and he's like save your men and the dauphin's like save your men my army's going to demolish you game of thrones same thing happens in the line in game of thrones is are your men going to fight for you when they hear that you didn't fight for them and i was like that's a much better line in game of thrones than the one that happens in this movie but it's i just it's, it just makes so much sense like why would we just keep killing thousands and thousands of each other when we can just be like let's pick our best let's send them to fight each other like fucking televise it make it we're already to the point of being like absolute animals in society who love violence. Like, fuck it. Let's go full gladiator. Let's have, I would much rather have a hundred people die to settle a war than like the wars that are lasting 20 years and ruining generations of people. Mm -hmm. Uh, In my mind, I'm like, let's fucking go back to swords. Like I would love it. I think that I I get where you're coming from. but At the same time, I felt like the kind of the strategies of war in this film, it, almost made it feel more game-like like the, the kings are like literally playing a board game with yeah. their men and like and that it, still and happens though it's just on a no, no, huge you're, scale you're absolutely right but i'm but like because the rules at time seemed almost arbitrary where it's like yeah. why can they not do that why are they both respecting this yeah whatever kind of agreements they had again it, it's just it's it fascinated me but yeah. yeah there's the obsession that everyone had with like dying honorably yeah Death was it not only was it so commonplace back then, but like I feel like dying honorably was mm-hmm. almost better than living in and unless you were like the king and unless yeah. you were like doing everything right, you're very successful. Mm-hmm. It was like dying in a good way was the best thing that you could do. It's it's funny that you bring this up because this morning I watch Sunday morning on CBS almost every Sunday, which is I highly recommend everyone to do. But they, it's the 25th anniversary of Forrest Gump and Lieutenant Dan in Forrest Gump. I don't know how you, familiar you are. Mm-hmm. Forrest Gump, <clears throat> he gets his legs blown off in Vietnam. Forrest Gump saves him from the battlefield. Right. And there's a huge scene in Forrest Gump where Lieutenant Dan is screaming, I was supposed to die on the battlefield honorably. You took that away from me. That was my destiny. And he is furious. And it's it still holds true. I think there there is that, you know, killed in action, like, he died defending his country and that's honorable. It still exists today. But back then I think, I don't know if it's because it's just more brutal and, and so much more hand to hand that it, it probably meant more. And, you know, you well, probably- I think that life itself came with it so much more just suffering. Like yeah. life was so much more painful and miserable oh, yeah. than it is now. So it's like, People did we had so much less of a will to Would live. Would you rather die of syphilis at 24 or right. on the battlefield at 20? Like, uh, yeah, you're you're definitely right. I think 
one thing this movie I'd loved, and it was the first time um, Timmy C goes to a one-on-one fight and he's like tr- to save the armies from fighting. He's like, let's fight mm-hmm. initially rejected. Then the guy comes. And I feel like in most movies and TV shows about this era, it's always a very well choreographed fight. It always seems like they're both great with swords and, you know, nobody's falling down. And this one was so raw and sloppy and they're crawling on the ground to get away from each other and just trying to almost pin each other punching. Like yeah, the, the sound <clears throat> of like punching metal and chain yeah. mail is just so brutal. It was, but it was so in my mind, it was so much more realistic to what those one-on-one fights probably were like, like mm-hmm. you're in this armor. That's almost impossible to maneuver in. You're fighting one other guy. And like, if you both lose your swords, what the, f- what are you supposed to do? Uh, and I, I wrote down so many notes on that scene. Just like, I'm so excited for the rest of the battle scenes in this movie, because this seems so much less choreographed and I love it. And it was probably super choreographed, but the way it comes off in the film, it's like, this is just two guys trying to do whatever they can to kill each other. And the, the final battle in the mud felt just as, yes, felt just as raw. Like the, so the shot, which you pointed out was similar to a game of Thrones shot where it's like a top view of all these helmets planked together. It's like a giant mosh pit in the mud Mm -hmm. and you see Joel Edgerton look up without his helmet on. And it's like that shot to me said so much about. You're looking around and you literally don't know who's on what side. No. And you're like, what? Did, what is the point of this? Yeah. This is just a bunch of dudes running to their death. Yeah, and literally, it's just a giant death trap well, in the bottom of a valley. And and there's a, there's a point in this battle where where Tim Chalamet is like, and I loved how he runs into this battle. You know, he's he's the guy who says oh, on me, and he's the first one out there. And well, first after like kind of the diversion squad. Love that, but he's out there, and there's a point where he's kind of. Obviously, it's super hard to keep track of things. And you, I thought at one point he killed one of his own guys. And he kind of had a moment of, like, shock. But I, I, I don't think he did. But in my head, I was like, how how do you know? Like, when you're just right. covered in mud and wearing this armor. And how how could you even keep it straight? You're just killing anything that moves, I would imagine. Yeah, I'm sure Plus, many, like, team kill casualties. Yeah, yeah, friendly fire. I mean, and the long... They should have turned that off in the options. Hey. The longbows, uh, the English longbows. Ooh. I don't know if you ever played a game called Age of Empires. Uh, not really, no. <sighs> Nathan, when they referenced how strong the English longbow was, I flat. This is a game where you choose your society, you build it, you can train certain warriors. Mm-hmm. And the English longbow was by far the best. Like, you could have mounted patrols, horses, <laughs> everything you could imagine, wizards, sages. Uh, and these English longbows would just take out your whole army from like before your guys could even get near them. You could have like the most well-trained swordsmen. They're getting taken out by the English longbows. So when they said that in this movie, like the long- <laughs> the French crossbow is no match for the English longbow. I was like, I know from experience know. <laughs> it is not. It is not. You are spot on. It, uh, I loved. I I really liked the battle scenes and the siege. Mm-hmm. loved the siege the, the catapults yes oh were so the way that was shot like they were just so menacing and yeah. like majestic yeah they just seem like these big beasts and they're like massive and slow but they just look so cool and like they're just so destructive like yeah. literally imagine being in a castle and there's just enormous fireballs Flaming. being flung up at well, you and the pacing of the siege scene too is like they storm the beach they set up camp they meet and talk about strategy the archbishop comes and, and says like we can't wait here but in between each of these things they're doing, it's like more another shot of the catapults hitting the castle, another shot mm-hmm. spliced in, and it's like rhythmic. Just 
mm-hmm. you know they're pounding this castle nonstop. Just relentless. Yeah. Relentless. And like I love the scene where the archbishop is like, we can't sit here and wait for them to just come out. And uh, Joel Edgerton is like, pretty common characteristic of a siege. Uh, and he's like, well, what do you expect them just to surrender? And he's like, yeah, it's kind of the point of a, of a siege. Uh, I just really hated the archbishop in this movie. He's the worst. <laughs> the, you mentioned like the shot when uh, Timmy C runs onto the, the mud covered battlefield. And like, so it, it's one shot yeah. when he runs on and he's just like killing guys left and right and, and, like so- and slipping through the mud. And like, he's, he's so like scrappy, yes. you know? And I would love to see like a uh, behind the scenes footage of like, the choreography it took yeah. to nail that okay. shot. Cause it's so, it's telling you so much about his character through his movements. He's so oh, yeah. fucking good at like the, just the way he's running around mm-hmm. is so unique to how unlike any other soldier on that field was running around. Yeah. And he's small. Like he's not a yeah, tall very, guy, very not small, a yeah. big muscly guy. And like, that's, that's kind of part of their whole strategy. It's kind of like, he's a metaphor for, you know, how they win that battle is like fast, agile, small. Like, we don't want to be these huge clunky knights mm-hmm. slipping in the mud. We want to be a guy like a Peter Pan type guy who's almost running on top of people's heads and like <laughs> slicing their necks as he passes by. Like, And he's the perfect guy to do that. The perfect guy to lead that strategy. I, I really like that. Other than the blatant copying of Game of Thrones, I really enjoyed that whole scene. That, uh, that one shot just took me out of it so much, though. When Hal is asked at the end of the battle, like what he wants to do with the prisoners Mm. for a second, I thought I'm like, Oh, what's the way this is going to play out is that Timothy's going to, or Hal's going to ask himself like, what would John do? Because John died in the battlefield and he was really a voice of a reason in his life. And that like, is that Falstaff? John Falstaff? Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that John is going to like, his voice is kind of going to be in the back of Hal's head going forward. And then he just says, kill them. And I'm like, Oh, it's the exact opposite. It's that he's no longer there and he is forever changed. He's, he's not going to have that voice. You know, and you almost wonder if it's like, um, like the post battle, like just his mind's probably so numb. He's like, I I don't want to deal with 20 more issues and hundreds more of these people. Fuck it. Let's wrap this up. And I want to be done with it. It's like having to like, uh, evaluate something post coital in order to think clearly, like, Take a step, take a step back. Yeah. You just got done with a battle. Yeah. Let's think about these prisoners lives. Once you kind of calm down, maybe wait till tomorrow. I was very surprised by that though. I was very surprised by that line. And it's true. It is kind of the point where he's like, I I think he learns as a King, a, he has no friends. B, he has to kind of lead by power and strength. And he just witnessed how that occurs in like the most brutal way. Mm -hmm. And he knows that brutality is kind of what wins out. But you still feel sad, like Falstaff was, he was kind of the guy who, and he even says it, Timmy C says it, like he knows that war is not something you should run towards, and he knows like how brutal and terrible it is, and he's Mm -hmm. the one who's been there, seen it, and wants to avoid it. And like that, he's gone. And there's nobody else around the king now who thinks that way. So I feel like he's just going to get more and more brutal. But who knows? I just the other day watched, um, have you heard of the documentary They Shall Not Grow Old? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I just watched that. Really, really liked it. It's basically, it's just, it's telling the story of like the British soldiers in World War One, And mm-hmm. it's, the whole thing is just spliced audio from interviews of, of veterans and video clips. Because yeah. they, like, they were filming themselves the whole way. And like a lot of it is colorized yeah. to make it look, you know, much more modern, realistic. And like by the end, it kind of takes you from like the recruitment of the war all the way to when the war ends and they come home. Yeah. And it like at the end, 
these soldiers are talking about their thoughts about war after this and how, and they're all, of course, like they literally say at one point, like war should be the absolute last resort. Yeah. And now that we've seen this and cause the whole film, they're describing the awful, awful conditions of war. And like, I, I, like, I personally feel like obviously this is a complicated like political issue, but it's like, I don't think anyone should be authorized to make decisions about war unless they know what that is. Unless yeah. they know what that's like. Sign like we up. have, again, we have people who are using soldiers as pawns as if yeah. it's all a video game. Cause yeah. it, cause at this point it is, you literally like the president's in the Oval Office and make a call. Mm-hmm. 10,000 <clears throat> soldiers get sent to wherever yeah. because of God knows what reason. It's so disturbing that as, these decisions are being made by people who don't know the first thing about it. As a future presidential candidate in the uh, Decent and Rational People for Transparency Party that I'm going to be launching, uh, that will be my first law. Is that if you're making decisions about war, you better have been on the front lines at one point. Uh, and not you better. You have to. You have to have been. Uh, I would be the first to sign up on that law. Because I fully agree. Like It's just sad how disposable you know, military people have become in today's society. And we were in like a 19 year long war. Think how many people have died for almost nothing. Like it's just, uh, we, we don't need to get into politics. Well, speaking of fast food and, and movies, <laughs> yeah, uh, I really like, uh, in the end, how the King of France basically says to how I'll surrender, but only mm. if you take my daughter. Yeah. It's that's how that's how it worked. It's very, uh, yeah. Classic, you know, classic old school stuff like yeah you know what you're better than me but let's let's just keep it close and be friends uh you want to marry one of my daughters i i didn't like that part i loved the confrontation with sean harris at the end Mm -hmm. you know he's getting fitted for this huge reception he's thinking he got everything he wanted to get done on his agenda and at this point you're still not sure whether or not to trust him like again through this whole thing he's been so supportive of the king and most of the king's decisions and he's such a, it's just the voice, I think, that makes him seem Weasley. I don't know. Um, but like I was, everything he says, I'm like, what is he, is he, is he trying to help? Is he doing it for good or is he terrible? Uh, the king asked him like, how did that assassin come to you? And he's like kind of spewing bullshit. And he's like, uh, I'm failing. My memory fails me or something like that. And the king just says like, remedy this failure. And I was like, <laughs> so Ooh. good. So good. So good. And then. His kind of boisterous, I have given you what you want, boy, have I not? And it's like, he really has. He's really set you up for success. So, like, movies got a lot to do with kind of how ego plays into war and, like, how violence can be rationalized. And, like, that that final scene where, the, you know, the chief justice explains how, it's like, yeah, you wanted peace. This mm-hmm. is the path to peace. And, like, okay, clearly, like, how he's young, impressionable, like, he has this inner circle throughout the film of experienced men who he trusts more than himself. Yeah. Cause he doesn't really know what he's doing. And like, obviously by the end we find out that at least one of them was manipulating him. Yeah. But like how is still, he, he's a smart guy who cares to some degree about doing good. Mm-hmm. Whether, no matter how misguided that may be. Now imagine this same situation. If Hal was just arrogant and egomaniacal and had no concern for morals and like, it's no wonder how like monarchy so often just led to absolute tyranny because yeah. there's so many kings who didn't give a shit about any of those yeah. things. And they had their inner circle people who maybe those their aides and advisors were on the same page as them. Maybe they were manipulating them and doing their bidding. It's like I like how they kind of bring up the idea that like Sean Harris's character maybe he was doing this for some kind of personal gain, like yeah. some like it was yeah, like, a, it was like he's corruption. A wool, he's a wool man. 
And but also it's like maybe he has bigger ideas about foreign policy and he just wants to enact those through the king. Yeah. It's just like really scary to think about all the times it's happened throughout history. And you think, though, you know, because when he first is made king, you think, oh, he's going to be different. He's going to do this for the people. He's doing it for all the right reasons. He doesn't even want to be king, but he's going to. And it's like, how often did that happen to to make kings these mad, brutal? I mean, it's emperors, an it's an know? insane system to <laughs> let boys be kings. Oh, it absolutely is, especially in little Timmy C. He's not ready for it at all. I will say his letter to the French king uh, after like he hears that an assassin was sent. Uh, I think he uses the term like slitherous, tum- no tumorous slither. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. And it's like just the most, it's a baller letter. It's a very powerful letter. I, I tried to find the text of it online and thought about going back through the film to watch it, but I, I don't have time for that. He's got away with words. It is like, man, thinking back to the person he was at the start of the film versus mm-hmm. the end and like so much character development and every last bit of it is completely earned and understandable. Especially like, that haircut. Oh my God. We're talking about, okay, we haven't even mentioned this, but like along with his wardrobe, he just oh, yeah. comes on screen wearing one of these robes with that hair. And I'm just like, n- like almost no one could pull off such a haircut. If I but he walks out with that. And I, I literally thought I was like, do I need that haircut? If I wasn't growing a beard right now, I would have shaved my sideburns off instantly because <laughs> I would have rocked that haircut. Off. And I love that Joel Edgerton, like once he finally brings him up, he's just like, I'm going to I'm gonna send you to my stylist. <laughs> Same haircut. Like, not all the other royalty people have it. Just like, we're new here. We got to kind of step up the hair game. Uh, everyone else is kind of sloppy. And it's like they're going to the barber to get lined up almost every day, I feel like. <laughs> they, the haircuts are great. He he just looks so good. Again, even if none of this other stuff we're talking about was in this film, I would still recommend watching it yeah. just to look at Timothy Chalamet. I mean, it's, it might as well just be a runway show at, <laughs> at a certain point. A medieval-themed runway show. Because the... I don't know who the costume designer is, but they deserve several awards. I mean, I, I don't really have much more to say about this other no. than I just thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. Have you seen any of the director's other movies? Because I did not know who directed this. I So I looked up his other <laughs> films. I've never seen any of the other stuff. Really? No. I would recommend Hesher, and I would recommend War Machine. War Machine being oddly topical to a lot of the things we talked about today. Now, War Machine, that's like the Brad Pitt Netflix film. Is it a Netflix? I think it was. I'm pretty sure. Could be. And then Hesher is like the Joseph Gordon-Levitt movie. I liked Hesher a lot. Uh, Not everyone's favorite. I think this director doesn't have the best track record in terms of reviews. Um, But those are two I'd say are are at least worth a quick watch. Yeah, I'd be curious to check them out because, I mean... I think that obviously it's the it's the director's job to build an ensemble of people to bring a vision to life, and mm-hmm. he brought together an amazing ensemble. I actually haven't even mentioned yet. Do you know who did the score? Do you go with my normal two guesses of Warner Herzog? Is he a composer? Uh, He's a director. Did I say no? Who's Herzog? Are you thinking of Hans Zimmer? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I got this. Hans Zimmer or uh, who's the other big one? There's only two. <laughs> There's only two. I'm normally right. Hans Zimmer or uh, I'll say. Do you know what? Danny Elfman. <laughs> <laughs> it is neither of those. It is actually one of my favorite current young composers. It's Nicholas Brattel. Oh, he did. Who uh, does he first did? Man? No, he did uh, Moonlight and If Beale Street Could Talk, oh, which was my favorite God, score from score. last year. Both that, those scores are really great. Apparently, he does the Succession music. 
which I have not oh, watched that watch show, that. but I kind of want to just, I just want to listen to the music. Yeah, I'm going to watch that show. I'm going to start tonight. Yeah, his work covers a pretty broad spectrum. He did the Vice score from last year. <laughs> yes. Like, he's he's worked with a lot of different people. He's doing some cool stuff these days. And I'm, I just pulled up, like, his kind of uh, filmography here. He did Whiplash, too, which has an amazing score. Uh, Battle of the Sexes, which is actually a surprisingly great movie. And also, has, I never saw Free State of Jones, but he did that. Uh, he's cranking them out, man. I would love to be a composer for films like this. Although I would just be distracted by the costume and hair. <laughs> be like, sorry, I didn't get anything done. <laughs> this is a really bad violin riff. And then me drooling for like two and a half hours. It's a sound of something going up your alley. Oh, God damn it. On that note, you can find all of our episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor FM, or wherever else you stream your podcast. If you like what you hear, you want to support the show, feel free to leave us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on, iTunes, Spotify, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. Just let us know what you think. No, give us a share. I don't know what kids share on these days anymore now that Tumblr's dead. I assume most social media is too. Grab some of your very own Fast Food Film Friends merch at uh, the uniquely named fastfoodfilmfriends.com. You can also follow us on Instagram if you want to see pictures of all our delicious food at Fast Food Film Friends, mm. Twitter at FFFF Podcast, mm. Facebook at Fast Food Film Friends, or email us at fastfoodfilmfriends at gmail.com. That is a direct line. That's right. I was actually told recently uh, we need to have live call-ins. I, I mean, we only have the one red rotary phone, so I don't know how we would pull that off. We'd have to let a lot of people onto a secure line. And uh, let us know what you want us to eat or watch next time. Mm-hmm. And until then, farewell. farewell.